You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Well, here we are, Kate. Welcome to the show. Uh, Today, we're talking about, what are we talking about? Mental games? Mental games of investing. It was actually a listener's suggestion. Um, The fear of missing out dealing with regrets. If you've made financial mistakes, how do you actually get over them and move on and keep investing for your future and and just sort of letting go of things and thinking about the future? Cool. Yeah. A, whole, a whole heap of different topics about this that I've bit. Like really it. just intertwined in one episode. Yeah. So if you're into psychology, money, investing, this is the one for you. This episode is not sponsored by Lucy Lou Kitchen in Melbourne. We're going to lunch after this uh, with a fellow podcaster, Kate, and uh, if you do have time, you get to Melbourne and you're in the CBD, Lucy Lou, fantastic Asian fusion. Get there. It's a lovely spot. Okay. So I'm going to say, you know, I think I'm really smart. Does that make me good, about, good at investing? So investing is really about how you manage yourself and your emotions rather than okay. how smart you are. Right. Because I, I don't know if this is something I made up, but- Investing's an EQ game, not an IQ game. So it's more about your emotional intelligence, your psychology, your behavioral biases, and your understanding of them, rather than how smart you are. Because as we've discussed in previous episodes, you can put together a long-term ETF portfolio fairly simply. You don't need to have a PhD in economics or be watching the investment news every day to do this. Yeah. I've met a lot of PhDs and CFA charter holders and even doctors that become investors. And that is, in my experience, not a predictor of their investment performance. Um, in investing, we commonly accept that there are maybe three edges or ways that you can do better than average. One of them is to do with access to information. The second one is you're a better analyst. And the third one is you have the behavior. Um, and if you think about the first two, information, basically everyone has access to the same information nowadays. That edge is pretty much gone Analysis, if you think you can out-analyze someone, well, there's computers for that, so that's another hard thing to do. 
Um, it's possible if you have better insights, you can be a better analyst, uh, but it is very difficult. So that leaves us with one thing. Uh, if we want to do well, behavior plays a big role. And I think if you did coin that phrase, fantastic. It's very similar to Morgan Housel's, which is being good with money. It has less to do with how smart you are, but more to do with how you behave. So you've kind of taken that and run with it. I like it. Yeah. Well, I've read a lot of his work, so it quite, <laughs> yeah, could quite Morgan possibly is in our brains. Be, be out of his <laughs> brain. But I think the understanding your behavioral biases and how you invest during the good times, it doesn't really matter so much. It's very easy to keep investing on a regular basis. Everything looks good. But this really comes into play when the market falls in value and you're suddenly seeing your $1,000 investment portfolio potentially worth $700. Yep. And this is really scary. And it's at these moments when your brain is really shouting at you to just do something. I think we've all had those moments where we're looking at our portfolio and our finances and we just feel like we have to do something. We have to change. We have to make a decision. There can't be any possible way that what we, the decision we made months ago is still correct. Mm. now that our portfolio has fallen in value. And so we, we talked about this recently on, I think we did an episode on like dealing with market anxiety of yeah. um, feeling all those emotions that come along with seeing your portfolio fall in value. But it's really at those times you want to be calm and you want to be collected and you want to revisit the reasons you wrote down why you're investing in the first place and look at your plan and go, are the reasons I invested in this ETF or company, have they changed materially? If nothing has changed apart from the scary headlines and maybe some global factors that have meant the market's fallen in value, should you really change your investment plan out of, out of that? Yeah. So there are certain times, like you said, when you should change, but for a lot of our listeners, Kate, this is going to be a time when they're first experiencing um, a lot of self-doubt, right? So that's normal, especially in the first you know, three to five years of your investing. It's very normal that you would experience a feeling of, oh, am I doing the right thing? You know, they talk about this thing, but there are no guarantees. And the negative stuff sounds more... Um, convincing. Like it does, yeah. It's a lot more convincing. It's a lot more refreshing for someone to say, here's why the, the market is down 10% and this is my insight. And it often makes sense. Like they don't give you something that doesn't make sense. Um, but so much of the time we found that, you know what, it's actually okay if you're investing sensibly and by that we mean like diversified, low cost, dollar cost averaging, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Like that's like a hundred years of stock market history. Um, and it's sad. It's a sad reality that our emotions do get in front of our decisions. Um, so this episode is all about kind of just little hacks yeah. that we can play on ourselves and, and ways that we can... Um, kind of counteract some of that monkey brain that goes on, especially in times of crisis. So, Kate, question, how do we overcome that irrationality? Yes. So, it's easy to talk about when things are going well that I'll stick to my plan, I'm a long-term investor, and it's when things aren't going well that it's very hard to stick to that same strategy of I'm a long-term investor, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're seeing your portfolio fall in value and when you're, you're feeling an urge to act because we feel like we want to solve the problem, we want to fix something. So seeing our portfolio fall in value makes us think that we did something wrong. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're looking at the bigger picture of what does even those Vanguard um, index the, price charts that charts, show you the yeah. really long-term um performance history of different asset classes can be good to give you a little bit of perspective here of this actually is normal and it's expected. It's the price of admission as Morgan likes to say. And 
it is not necessarily something you did wrong. Mm-hmm. You you might have invested in a really bad company and the company's yeah, underperforming and it might be you might have to sell for completely different reasons. But if you have invested in a long-term diversified ETF portfolio and you wrote down why you're investing, what your long-term goals were, if if it's just because a few headlines have changed and the sentiments changed, that might not mean that your strategy should change. So mm. I think some of the ways that we can really overcome that irrational brain, it's I don't think you overcome it fully. It's it's a lifelong process. You're always going to be you versus your brain. Even mm. the best fund managers still have to deal with that. Um, but even just having a really clear thing written down and Absolutely. having it written down, even if it's just a one-page napkin strategy where you're saying, I'm investing in these ETFs or companies. The reason I'm investing in this, what am I going to do when um, things go bad? Yep. And when things are scary, is it, have I got a strategy for dealing with myself? Am I going to come back and pull out this strategy that I'm going to refer to when I'm feeling scared to reassure myself that I am, this is part of the plan and it's, it's part of the course of investing. Mm. That's such a good uh, piece of advice. There's so many reasons why writing things down makes sense. Um, one of the things is that if you've ever had a complicated problem in your head, like whether it's a, a life problem, whether it's like, um, any type of problem, whether it's a financial problem, a work problem, a relationship problem, uh, some type of thing, like a complicated decision you've got to make, you often find that you get to one point consistently in your thinking. And then from that point on, it's very hard to progress because you like you start thinking about, well, if this, then that. And then if that, then this, then, but then what? And then you start to get stuck. If you actually write down your logic to that point, you can actually see the flow of it. And then the next time you think about it, you pick up from that point. And that's one of the reasons why writing it down helps. Um, the other reason is that you can reflect. You can be like, why am I here? How did I get to this point? And that is super valuable, particularly for people in their first one to three years of investing because you can actually see your decision-making framework, which we'll get to in a minute. And you can be like, okay, that was not the good process. It might have resulted, which we'll talk about in a second, in a bad outcome or a good outcome, but it was not a good process. So we try and understand the process of how we got to somewhere and you do that by writing it down. Yeah, and even talking to someone. So if you find yourself an Mm. investing buddy or someone who's going through a similar stage of the journey or maybe a couple of steps ahead of you, talking through this as well because you might feel very alone when you're seeing your portfolio fall in value and you might feel very scared and filled with self-doubt that you did the wrong thing. But if you're actually talking to a few other investors and going, okay, we're all in diversified ETF portfolios. We've all decided to invest for the long time term time frame and we're all experiencing mm. falls in our portfolio it's not just us it's not just something i did wrong it's all part of the game and so i think that really helps if if you're not a person that wants to write things down find some people to talk to that are For sure. similar or a couple of steps ahead of you if they're too far ahead of you they might not see things through the same perspective and they might just say oh it's just part of it and not be able to sort of understand what you're going through and all those emotions that are running through your head especially in the first couple of years like when you, when you are still going, am Absolutely. I doing the right thing? And you might need to change your plan a few times as you're learning in the first few years. Oftentimes you find just by saying something that you realize there's holes in your own logic. It's the Feynman technique at play. Uh, so when you, you say something, you realize and you're trying to explain it to someone, they look at you like a deer in headlights and they're like, wait, what do you mean? Well, then you haven't explained it correctly and it's not simple enough. Then you go back to the drawing board and you start again. And by doing that process again and again, you fill in the blanks of your own knowledge and that's really powerful. I think one of the great things for us, Kate, 
is that when we do these podcasts, we answer the questions that everyone sends in and we get to experience what it's like to talk about the answers and find better ways to deliver our message again and again and again. Yeah. And so we're and very lucky. Even when people write in and go, oh, hey, you didn't think about this. Would yeah. that be something you consider in your process? Or I remember when we had the talking about the charts recently and reasons why data is displayed in a different way. <laughs> yeah, by charts. That was yeah, a good chart. <laughs> it's quite, quite interesting and points out often holes in your thinking that unless you speak it out loud or write it down, you don't realize those things. Yeah. I guess the next thing I would suggest if you are um, struggling with the emotions and the self-doubt, seeing your portfolio fall in value is whether you are in the position to remove those micro-investing super brokerage apps from your phone. Yeah, and especially by, super. You don't yeah, that. and by doing that, I don't mean don't check in. I don't mean don't like stop mm. investing. I think you should. that's still really important that you keep doing that even when times are scary. But it's just looking at it every day and you can put yourself into a really bad headspace. If you keep looking at your account and your $1,000 is $700 and next day it's 720, then it's 690. And you can start to spin out just by looking at it again and again. I think we've all had those times where we've got a text from our friend and the more times we read it, the more we started filling in the blanks and misinterpreting it and turns after looking at it 10 times, the text suddenly means something completely different to what it was in the first place. Yeah. You yeah. can, yeah, overlook at something and start catastrophizing about it. So if you can remove that because because it's so easy to invest using these apps, it can often let you do very impulsive things like just click sell on the whole portfolio or click sell um, on your entire investment in that ETF that you might have been adding to for years on a regular basis. And so remove that instant trigger. So if you do have to make a buy or sell, if it's not automated, then you'd have to log into the desktop version. Yep. Um I would, I, I, to be honest, I've got the Perla app on my phone. I've got the Aussie Super thing on my phone, but I, you know, I don't, I've never, I can't, I don't even think I've ever placed a trade through the mobile apps of these things. Maybe I did recently. I can't remember. Um, you just don't need them. And it's like, that's too much. You should have some friction between you and impulse decisions. Yeah. But you might know yourself and you might think I'm completely fine. I know some people like looking at regular basis because they see it as some sort of exposure therapy that they get okay with seeing that their portfolio falls in value and like coming to terms with that's an okay thing. That's, so yeah, that's reasonable. if you know yourself and you know that that might be a good thing and that that won't trigger you to make an impulse sale when the market's looking scary that day, then maybe that's another strategy. Yeah, some people run towards fire and some people run away from it, right? And so people that run towards it typically in investing are the ones that are suited to more active styles yeah. of investing. Um, but if you're the type of person that freaks out and then probably buries your head in the sand and you don't really want to look at it, you don't really want to understand what's going on, then you should probably remove those triggers in your life, um, at least for now until you're more accustomed to it. Uh, we, all, we all have a little bit of that in us, I think. Um, so, yeah. The other thing that you can do is just tune out the noise. There's a lot of noise in investing. Um, I was actually chatting to an investor last night or a trader he was last night. And he's been investing for 37 years. And he said when he started and he wanted to learn about this particular style of investing, he had to get a book sent from the United States. But before, so it had to get mailed to him. But before he could get the book, he had to sign like a disclaimer. So they sent him the paperwork to sign, which he then sent back. And then three months later, the book came. All, all up, it was about a four to six month process of getting the book right. to learn about investing. And so if you compare that to now, you can open and listen to one of these podcasts, like the RAS podcasts. You can listen to hundreds of thousands of others probably. You can 
go on YouTube, which is where apparently about 20% of Aussies get their information these days. Um, and so you can do this uh, and it's super easy. So there's information everywhere and it's too much information. Yeah. And sometimes you need to decide I've got too much information. Mm. I need to have a break from any financial news and media for a while just to focus on the rest of my life because I'm becoming, you can kind of get too obsessed with your personal finances and it takes joy from other areas of your life. And sometimes that's the point where, okay, maybe I stop listening to as much financial news and just keep a few trusted sources and that's about it. Yep. And we've talked about this a lot, but just know the source, understand the source of the information, the person, the publisher. Like if you go to Fox News, you can almost guarantee that you're going to get some more right-leaning views on everything. Uh, if you go to something that's on the left of side of politics, you're going to get something completely different and it'll be two different sources of information. And it really boggles the mind about how many people don't actually understand the difference between their news sources and the what those are pushing to, on, on you. Um, so just be critical and keep a track record of everything that's said on these two things. Keep it track record on the, the language that's used. One of Australia's biggest and most notable commentators in the AFR is someone that I would never trust. I'm not going to name who he is. Um, you might be able to figure it out if you jump onto my Twitter. But um, I would never trust that person because he spends more time marketing himself than he does actually providing good, honest insights and education. And but so you got to be critical. Yeah. But even some people, they, they might not be coming with a certain angle, but it's just the way they've experienced the world and the way they've learned and True. their areas True. of expertise. They would bring a particular lens to the way they talk about finance and investing, just like we do. Like we don't talk about property as much because we haven't been property investors per se. And so mm. it, that's why getting diversified sources of news Absolutely. is good. It's not that everyone's got an... No, everyone's not going to get you, but, but um, it's just different like, ways of seeing and understanding the world. As yeah, as Charlie Munger says, you know, just tell me where I'm going to die, and I won't go there. And that's just understanding incentives. So once you understand that, um, then you can make it an informed view. And so what I mean by this is, like, the, you can get a source of information, and the chance that it actually relates to your long-term investing strategy is probably less than one percent. Um, most of what you read every day will not be relevant to your long-term wealth cre creation and you will not remember it. Um, so just remember that everyone has their own opinions. And this is – you make such a good point, Kate, that like our philosophy, the way we view the world, is based on our experience and our education basically. So our experience in life is like a solo journey and the education is basically broadening our, our horizons. And so if you take those things, then effectively what happens is – you get the result of those two things, um, a perspective on something and what have you. Uh, and as you get older, you typically get more worldly and you, you embrace things, hopefully. Um, but just remember that someone else's opinion doesn't have to be yours. So just to be critical. Um, and I think this is really important in investing. Tune out the noise, focus on the things that matter. Um, we've talked about this a lot. And the next thing? Yeah, the final thing I've got on this particular topic of overcoming our rational brain, especially when markets are falling, is just staying humble because it's really easy to start overestimating your skills and your knowledge when you're a bit further onto your investing journey, maybe five mm. plus years down the track. Um, and even if you're not overestimating your skills, you think that you need to go to the next level. You need to advance your plan. You need to go to the next level in your investing, in your tax structures and things like that. And that can often lead people down a... Uh, 
a thorny path in terms of overcomplicating their strategy, trying to outsmart professionals and things like that. So I think it's really important that we keep our strategies simple. Mm -hmm. And even if you want to start actively investing, you're not just completely changing strategy until you actually maybe experience active investing with 10 or 20% of your portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really, that's probably Mm -hmm. the ultimate act of humility. If you're starting out, Yeah, you start with the boring things that we suggest you probably, it's probably not going to be that much fun initially. It might be a little bit daunting. Um, but then once you're in the mix, you've done it for a year or two and you've got a little bit of money set aside. Yeah. Go and give that a crack. Scratch yeah. that itch. And, and don't let boredom change your strategy. Yeah. I've, I've seen That's that happen to myself in the yeah. past where I'm like, I'm kind of bored with ETFs. I want to try something <laughs> different and different Opens sometimes works. <laughs> different, d- different doesn't always work. Maybe um, you can deal with the feeling of boredom with your investment strategy in a different way. Yeah. Sometimes that's good. It means you can just be less involved with it. Yeah, I think I was just reading some ASIC numbers. I think like one third of people, these the people, younger people um, just had cryptocurrency as their quote unquote investment. Um, and that's exciting, right? It's so exciting as in for them, <laughs> the, crypt, the cryptocurrencies. Yeah. For me, and I hear that I'm scared because I think that's not necessarily the way that everyone should start. Um, and so, yeah, in the beginning, you might have to put that excitement and those emotions aside and focus on other things that a bit more, they bring a bit more humility to what you're doing. So, Kate, one of the big things, speaking of crypto, is the fear of missing out. A lot of people, particularly if we could just recap the last, say, five years, we've got property, cryptocurrency, lithium stocks, tech stocks. Getting money out of your super. Money from super. Lots of fear of missing out on big gains. That's like, there's a huge incentive there called greed. Uh, It slips into our subconscious without us even knowing. How do we stop this? Yeah. When when money on the line, money is on the line, the lure of wealth, the the things that potentially you've always wanted seem like they're just one trade or one investment away. It's very easy to start changing your behavior and doing something that, you never would have done. Your strategy of your long-term investing strategy never would have mentioned suddenly going and putting 100% of your next paycheck in this one. So Kate, the big one, last few years, property, crypto, tech stocks, lithium, fear of missing out, huge thing. How do we scratch that itch? Yeah, it's a big thing when money is on the line and it can often make us act in a way that we wouldn't have acted otherwise. I think the important thing is if you're going to do it, do it responsibly, like many things, mm-hmm. um, having some play money or giving yourself an amount. Like if you know that you are going to want to jump into the next big thing and that's just you. And I think understanding that you're going to do that is a good first step. And then saying, okay, well, I'm just going to let five or 10% of my portfolio, maybe 1%, depending on like how much you've got. So if you've only got $1,000, maybe that's $100. Um, but if you've got a million dollars, maybe you don't give yourself 10% of the portfolio for scratching yeah. that. Itch. So it's it's in, look at it in proportion, but um, maybe give yourself a small amount to actually play with, to try mm. jumping into a thematic ETF or a lithium stock or something your mate told you about or play with crypto. Because yep. I think if you know you're the person that wants to jump in and try things, you do it in a way that's responsible and that protects the majority of your wealth from yourself. Yeah. Uh, earlier this week, I caught up with a few... Um uh, guys that play AFL as part of this um, um, talk that I did recently. I caught up with them over Zoom and we talked about different companies and investing. And a lot of them just want to take a punt on something because they 
young fellows with a bit of money and they want to invest. And so if I go in there and talk about VDHG the whole night, they're not going to be engaged. And I get that. I wasn't like that when I started. So if you're going to do it, do it with a small amount of money. If you like this lithium company or you want to invest in Tesla, do it with a small amount. Have a bit of fun. Put that in a separate brokerage account. But in your other brokerage account, keep it sensible, keep it long-term focused and trust us. You'll thank us later. Yeah, I found when I've talked to friends or family that really want to invest in something uh, that's a little bit uh, out there. Out there. Um, if I just, if you say just don't invest in that at all, invest in diversified ETFs, they'll end up not doing anything or just investing in the out there kind of thing. Yep. So giving them a structure where they can put a smaller amount in that um, and still invest sensibly um, has seemed to work a little bit more. So if you've got a friend that really wants to invest in barbecue tips or thematic ETFs or lithium, or all sorts of things, um, maybe you talk about that you can do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yep. Agreed. Um, so yeah, uh, quick quick anecdote. When I was uh, just starting out investing, I, I think I've told this story before. I put two thousand dollars in the most speculative thing I could find. It that investment went to twenty four thousand dollars within twelve months, and I thought I was a genius and I should have taken the money out. Instead, I took all that money and invested in another two things that I thought were really good, and all of that money came crushing back down to earth. And that was my story. That I took a trip on the humility curve. I went up mm. thinking that I was a genius and come straight back down. Sometimes we make investing mistakes, and we've got to live with them. Kate. How do we do that? Yeah, I think the first thing, if your confidence has been shaken because you've lost money, whether it's you got scammed by investing in a dodgy investment company that didn't actually exist, um, whether you put all the money into a lithium stock that crypto recently, uh, crypto, it can often really shake your confidence. And some people never invest again after that. I know many people whose parents maybe got burnt in um, tech crash or 08 or 09 when the market fell quite substantially and maybe they sold at the bottom. It's like gambling, they say. Yeah, yeah. So they'll say things like it's gambling, it's rigged, you can't win against the system and things like that. And they can get really into your psyche and really stop you taking that first step. And I think the first thing, if you've gone through a period where you've made a mistake, um, potentially you don't want to talk about it. But I think the first thing is either talking to a financial counsellor an actual counsellor, Beyond Blue, family, friend, your bank's hardship teams, whatever it is, actually talk to someone about it because I think that's the first step. You're not going to get over it immediately and go straight back to diversified long-term ETF investing. I think you talking about it, writing it down, whatever it is. Reflect on it. um, Yeah, reflecting on it and then getting your financial foundations back in order. If you ended up through this investing mistake ending up in debt or you lost your emergency fund or you have a tax obligation to clear, um, sorting out all of those things firstly. Um, And then once you've got those foundations or you're getting those foundations laid down again because you might have to start over, um, then start focusing on education as well and learning as much Mm. as you can because if you've lost your confidence, you're going to want to focus on some education and learning as much as possible to start rebuilding it. Yep, agreed. Um, There's a fantastic investor out of the US. His name is David Gardner. He's since stepped back. He's the co-founder of The Motley Fool, still on the board. He's one of the best investors of our generation. Um, And he's invested in Amazon at like $2.30 or something a share. And it's since split its stock like a gazillion times. He invested in Netflix. He made like 50,000% on Priceline. He's made all of these amazing investments. And he's the one that come up with that phrase that we've talked about. Make your portfolio look at look like your best version of the future. Invest in those companies that make the world a better place. And if you invest like that, you're going to be wrong probably more often than you're right. 
But as David said in one podcast on rule breaker investing not too long ago, and this is a, an idea that I totally subscribe to, which is that you will make you will you will make more money investing in great companies than you will lose investing in mediocre companies. So you are going to lose. The, the your expected return from your investing is actually a result of both your winners and your losers. So if you're in this business, you've got to know that you're going to be wrong. Peter Lynch, author of One Up on Wall Street, says if you're good in this business, you're right six times out of 10. You're never going to be right 10 times out of 10. So if this is the best fund manager, one of the best fund managers that's ever lived saying that, chances are you're going to be wrong at least 40% of the time. And this is something you've got to get used to. Now, we advocate for diversified portfolios. The reason why we say that is because overall, you will have some losers, but overall, you will probably achieve a positive outcome. So that's what we say. Just get used to that. Um, and if you're not, if you, if if someone in your family has been through that experience and their philosophy of investing is the share market is like gambling, try to encourage them to invest other ways, whether it's through property, whether it's through just building up an offset account or being sensible in other ways. There, you should you remember that this is part of the journey. If, like we've we've all made mistakes, yeah. the, the best of us have made mistakes. And even if that's talking to a financial advisor, yes. so you getting an expert to actually look and help you come up with a plan. If you're trying to build that confidence up again, um, whether it's actually coming back to basics and saying, okay, I'm going to set some goals again, and I'm just going to work towards this in a really slow, methodical pace because I know a lot of people get burnt by get rich quick schemes and things like that so um, maybe it's time to step back and be the tortoise instead of the hare and actually work towards it slowly um, and even just starting an investing journal to start working Absolutely. through your decisions and your reasoning process and um, especially if you have been burnt by particular particularly if you've gone 100% in one company that's fallen apart, uh, it yeah. might be a good focus to, to learn a bit more about risk management, diversification, and how you can build a diversified portfolio. So hopefully you don't repeat that again. Yep. You said earlier that Morgan Housel said that um, volatility is the price of admission. I think many investors have said that. The ups and downs of the stock market, the ups and downs of any type of investing, as property investors are now finding out, is the price true price the the true emotional price of long-term wealth so if you think that you're going to invest and you're not going to go on a wild ride to get there you probably shouldn't be investing because you are going to experience these times and by default if you're investing for five or ten years into the future maybe longer what you are effectively betting on is the future to be better than today and the reason is if you didn't think that the future was going to be better you think it's going to be worse, well, spend all of your money now. Enjoy it. Don't sacrifice anything. Spend the money now. So optimism actually works. I would say cautious optimism is what everyone should kind of default to uh, when it comes to their money. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I think like even with Theranos, a company we, we've spoken about on yep. the podcast, a lot of people were very optimistic that this prick of blood technology could test hundreds of different diseases and disorders in minutes. Mm. And it's very easy to be optimistic, overly optimistic without actually checking that there's actually some technology and basis about that. So that's probably an example that, um, yes, that would be amazing if that existed in the future and hopefully it still will exist. But in that case, people were overly optimistic without yeah. checking the facts. So I think overall being optimistic about the world's going to be a better place and I'm investing for that world, but also making sure you're still diversified. You're still making sure there's some fundamentals to that optimism as well. Yep. Um, 
Absolutely. There's a, there's a saying in financial markets that the market climbs the wall of worry. If I had a dollar for every time someone told me Apple shares were overvalued, I would probably be wealthier than if I just owned the shares. <laughs> but the shares have just kept going up. Yeah. Um, they go down from time to time, but then they just keep going up because it's a great company and it keeps producing more and more profits. So you can expect that you're always going to be worried. There's, there's always something to worry about in financial yeah. markets. Like I don't last think year, you can eliminate worry from your finances and even investors and multimillionaires, they always have something to worry about. So I think it's just been um, having some basis for it and understanding your overall picture and writing down, as we said, all of those goals and why you're investing and your reasons for investing um, that you can, you've got something to hold on to and come back to when you're feeling scared and worried. Yep. Uh, Kate, a lot of people take far too long to figure this out, but some people, there is a time when you should stop doing what you're doing. You should actually say, okay, yeah, I'm not that good at this. I yeah. should try a different strategy. So how do we know eventually, Kate, that actually, you know what, my strategy isn't working and it's not just my behavior, something is going wrong here. Yeah. So if you've been investing for a few years and you've actually been tracking your portfolio, maybe mm. you've share site or a, a Google spreadsheet to track your portfolio, maybe this is a time if you're a bit further on in your journey that you can actually compare your performance of your portfolio to yep. a benchmark. And sometimes that can be a little bit difficult to work out if you've been making regular contributions, like whether that performance included them or not. Yep. Um, so just work through the numbers a little bit more, but actually seeing is this plan actually going to plan? I've given it enough time frame, maybe five to seven years. I've checked in with my behavior. I haven't made any impulsive decisions. I've regularly invested. And maybe, especially people that are actively investing, they might work out after five to seven years that they haven't outperformed a, a benchmark or they haven't outperformed a typical diversified ETF portfolio. Maybe they're comparing it to the performance of VDHG or something like that. Yep. And it might be at that point where you go, okay, Am I going to continue working in this way? Am I going to keep actively investing? Or is there potentially I can do a mix of both? Maybe I want to have some ETFs and some active investments because I enjoy it, but I might not be particularly great at it. And mm. I think it's important to do this at a time when things are going well, because when things aren't going well, it can be easy to just blame that as a reason. Whereas things are going well and ETFs have been going up, your shares have been going up, you can actually go, oh, has my strategy outperformed mm. if I just had a simple diversified ETF portfolios? Yeah, and I think this is the the golden ticket for a lot of people when you work this out. So if you actually go to the Rask Media website, our uh, investing website, and if you search in the top right corner for a company, what I've done on the website is that if you go to the company's page, it automatically defaults to comparing an individual company against the Vanguard VAS ETF, the e like the broad market ETF. And I would challenge you, if you search for 10 companies that you know the name of, I would challenge you to find five of them that have done better than VAS over 10 years. I, you know, if you do that, if you can just think of them, great, but just try and find them. It only compares the share price, not mm. the dividends as well. The reason that I put that chart on the website, Kate, is to remind people how difficult it can be to find individual companies to invest in. You know, I'm an active investor and I'm here to tell you that it's very difficult. And so what a lot of people do is they go up this humility curve. It looks like the side of a bowl. They go up and then they come straight back down the other side. And that process, I would say, takes about three to five years. 
for some people they take a lot longer to figure it out because they've not as they don't have the humility but even for someone like myself like i've de- defaulted now to investing the majority of my money in etfs it's just easier way for me to to to, to live my life and to invest i don't have to wake up every morning and yeah. worry and no one's giving you a mark when it comes to investing. No one cares. It's, it's your No one's life. saying, oh, you got an A plus this year. So you actually have to make the decision to go and look at your track record and how you've performed compared to different benchmarks. And you have to sort of come to terms with, okay, I did a lot worse than the benchmark with my active strategy. So maybe this isn't for me or maybe I just don't have the time to dedicate to this. I don't have um, enough interest or um time to actually go and research and read the annual reports and look at the numbers maybe it's just not up my alley and that that's okay you can you can still be super interested in investing and learning about different companies without actually investing directly in them rather they're just something that forms part of your diversified portfolio absolutely we can only cover so much in this podcast so what i would encourage you to do is to go and look at our psychology of money course it's on the rask education site it's part of our road trip totally free course go and check it out it is super easy. You can do it in one sitting and you can enroll in the other free courses while you're there. If you want to dive deeper into this, the Psychology of Money book by Morgan Housel is fantastic. The Little Book of Behavioral Investing, another fantastic book. Um, the Behavioral Investor by Dr. Daniel Crosby, who we've had on the show. Um, A Random Walk Down Wall Street is another wonderful one if you want to unpack what is investing, how does it work. Kate, as for podcasts, what can people turn to? Yeah, we've done um, an episode with Dr. Daniel Crosby on behavioral investing. We've done one on decision making, which was based off How to Decide by Annie Duke, a wonderful book there. And we did some with a high performance mindset coach on winning the money game, whether that's possible and the psychology behind your money goals. So I will put all of those things in the show notes. Uh, But yeah, just remember investing is a lot more to do with what you do than sort of the things you invest in, in terms of intelligence and picking the right companies. Absolutely. So just to summarize, as Kate said, brilliant quote, by the way, we should get this printed on a t-shirt. Investing is an EQ game. I probably stole it. I just can't remember (laughs) where. I like it. it. We don't know. Quote anonymous. Uh, Now Kate Campbell. Uh, Number two, you know, we can put steps in place. There are actual things. You can add friction to bad decisions in your life. And you can make and you can automate the good decisions, the financial decisions. We we sometimes don't know when FOMO is creeping into our brains. So that's why it's just good just to get a second opinion, speak to other people, write things down, do things like that. It pays to be an optimist in investing. When so much of the world is negative, optimism is one of the things for our behavior that leads to good long-term returns. Minimize your financial regrets. One of the things that you can do is use the regret minimization framework. What am I going to regret more? not investing for the next 10 years and keeping my money in cash or investing and just writing it out. Um, Use all of the the tools that we mentioned. Kate's done a fantastic article about this and it probably gave rise to this episode, um, which we'll link to in the show notes. So go and check that out and, you know, join the Facebook community, jump into Rask um, membership. If you want to chat to the members and myself and Kate might even occasionally get in there. Um, This is a fantastic topic. There's so many good books on it. Um, including the course, like you'll get heaps of resources for free. So Kate, wonderful episode, challenging topic for a lot of folks. Stay positive. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. 
If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.